Church family, welcome. I'm going to take just a moment. Uh, a lot of our folks are actually away on vacation today, and a lot of you are, uh, are relatively new. So I want to introduce our uh, preacher this morning. Uh, Luke Talbert will be coming in just a moment. Luke and his family, Patty was playing violin up here uh, just a few moments ago. Of course, Caroline was baptized. They have three other children who have been with us for the past month and a half or so. Uh, their family was a part of our church until 2000. Well, let me back up. They're still a part of our church. Their family was a part of our resident church body until 2017 when we as a church family were able to send them out to Latvia where they serve. If you don't know where that is, uh, uh, it's a country that's just sort of to the left of Russia, give you kind of an idea of where they are in Eastern Europe. They have been serving there faithfully in a small community outside of the capital city. The capital city is Riga. They've been serving faithfully in a small community called Adagi. And there, as I mentioned prior to the baptism, they have been a part of uh, Mission Baptist Church, where I've had an opportunity to preach and we've had an opportunity to worship. Some of the folks in our church have actually also had the opportunity to worship there. But this morning, uh, Luke comes to bring God's word to us this morning. So as he stands before you, just know who he is. And we are thankful and thrilled to death to have him uh, with us this morning. Not only a former staff member here, but one of my dearest friends. So Luke, please come at this time. Thank you. Well, good morning. As Pastor Craig mentioned, uh, my family and I... Uh, Three daughters, and then God gifted us with a son while we were in Latvia. So the six of us live in a little town called Adagi on the outskirts of the capital of Riga. And uh, I think we will have an opportunity later in July, I think July 17th, to share a little bit more about our ministry and what the Lord has done and what we are praying that he will do when we return back there at the end of July. Um, but before we open God's word this morning, I, I want to take a personal point of privilege and say two things. Um, one is thank you. Um, we, we try and keep up with all the ways that you have served and blessed us as a church family over the past four years. And I hope I won't get emotional on this, but maybe I will. Um, but you all have loved us so well. And even though we've tried to send thank you notes and tried to express our deep, deep gratitude for you all, um, I know we've missed some people, um, I, and, but we are so grateful to have you as our sending church, as our uh, American uh, home church, and uh, whether it was sending uh, three couples to come and just spend time with us and share with us, um, or whether it was sending prayer cards, or when we moved over just a month before Caroline's birthday, and she told some of you that she was afraid that she would have nobody to celebrate her birthday with, and yet you sent cards and gifts or whether it's since we've been back here in the States for a little bit and watching our kids or inviting us to dinner or taking the girls to buy them ice cream in so, so many ways. We are blessed because of you all, and we are grateful to have you as a church family. And coming off of that, the second thing I would say is if you are a guest here this morning, whether you've decided to join us because of v VBS or whether you've been visiting for a couple weeks or this is just your first Sunday for whatever reason it might be, let me encourage you with these words that you were made for community. And whether it's going to move your whole family to a country in Eastern Europe or whether it's navigating parenthood or the scary cancer diagnosis you received last week, whatever it is, God does not want you to be alone. And so I pray 
that you would pray seriously about making Malvern Hill your church home. And I can speak from my personal experience that it is a place where there is community, where there is the love of Christ, where the gospel is shared both in word and in deed. It is not a perfect place because there is no such thing as a perfect church, but it is a place that is changed by the gospel, and I would encourage you to make this your church home. So, all of that to say, um, I'm not here to talk about me or, or really our family, but to open God's word with you this morning. And so we will be in Psalms chapter 90. As you're turning there, um, a few weeks ago, my family, we were doing a, a kind of time of family worship, actually using an old Baptist hymnal, because when you live overseas and you worship in Latvian all the time, you recognize that you want your children to know some of the old hymns of the faith that have been sung for hundreds of years. And so we were singing out of a Baptist hymnal, and we were singing uh, that old hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And after we were done singing, one of the things that we like to do sometimes is say, hey, how, how did God speak to you? Are there any lines from the song that you don't understand or that maybe were confusing or that Lord, the Lord spoke to you through? And, and one of the people in our family, I don't remember who it was, but, but mentioned that, that second line. It says, come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. And even though I've sung that song many, many times, I, I started thinking about that. And we talked about it as a family. What does it mean to tune our hearts to sing God's grace? Uh, for any of you who are uh, musicians, especially those of you that play stringed instruments like a guitar, you know that you constantly have to be tuning your instrument. Whether it comes from uh, something bumping into it or accidentally dropping it in its case, hopefully, or whether it's just from the environment around it, you have to constantly be tuning it so that it will be able to play the songs that you want it to play. And the same thing is true of our hearts, that our hearts are in need of constant tuning. If we were to leave this piano here and not play it at all for a couple of years, just the environment, the changes in temperature, the changes in humidity, it would not play well because it needs to constantly be tuned to the right notes so that if you were to sit down and play it, it would play the song that you wanted to play. And as I was preparing this sermon uh, from Psalm 90, as I was reading some of the, the commentators, some of the men and women who are smarter than me, um, that have spent their lives studying God's Word, um, that's kind of what one of them said. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce, he, he talks about, we, if you read the first part of, um, even before verse 1, it says, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. And we don't know exactly when Moses wrote this, but we can make a good guess that as we read it, maybe in a few minutes, maybe you'll, you'll recognize where this could have been written. And, and James Montgomery Boyce says probably the best guess that we have is it happens from in the events of Numbers 20. A time, a very low point in Moses' life, a time that just in that short chapter, his sister dies. They didn't always have the best relationship, but a, a woman who had led with him in the wilderness, and he loses his, his sister, and then he loses Aaron, his brother, all in this one chapter. And then in the middle of that, uh, Moses actually rebels against God, doesn't do what God says, and as a consequence of that, he learns that he will not be able to go into the promised land with the rest of God's people. It's a chapter of the Bible of 
where there is much anguish, much sorrow, things happening outside of Moses' life with the death of his brother and sister, and then things happening in his own life as he deals with his own sin. And James Montgomery Boyce says that's probably the setting that Moses wrote these words. And so as we, as we look at this chapter this morning, as we read it together in a few moments, I want you to think about that as things outside of us, as we live in a world that is often off-key, that is out of tune, how do we tune our hearts, whether it's the things that are around us or the things that are within us? How can we tune our hearts to sing the songs that God has planned for us to sing? So will you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read Psalm chapter 90, beginning in verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or you ever formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood they are like a dream. Like grass that is renewed in the morning, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed, but in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end with a sigh. The years of our life are, are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we just sang, and praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, that you, the God of glory, the God of majesty, might receive praise forever because you are the King of kings. And so as we look around the world, a world where there is great sin and suffering and toil and anguish, as we look around at the world that is often out of tune, and there is a natural inclination of our hearts to go the same way. Lord, would you teach us this morning to tune our hearts that we might sing loudly, that we might sing with praise, that we might bring honor to your name with the songs that you have given us to sing. Teach us this morning through your word, your spirit, and your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how do we tune our hearts to sing God's grace when the world is off-key? 
There's four truths I believe that this psalm teaches us. And this is my first time preaching in, in English in a very long time. Um, so don't panic. We'll get through this together. Um, I will probably spend a lot of time on the first point because it is most integral. So don't panic if after 20 minutes we're just finishing up verse, uh, point one and we still have three more to go. Um, we will get through this together and uh, you will probably be out on time if the Lord's uh, Spirit is willing. But how do we tune our hearts to seeing God's grace when the world is off key? The first thing that this psalm teaches us is that we must recognize the Lord's greatness and our own frailty. We must start with who God is. A.W. Tozer, in a very famous quote, says this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. And this is true not only of individual Christian, of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always, always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. So what does this psalm teach us about God and as a result our own humanity? We, we can almost see a compare and contrast going on here in the first verses of this psalm. We see that God is eternal. Verse 2, that from everlasting to everlasting, He is God. And yet, who are we? We are created from the dust, and to the dust we return. And God is omnipotent. That before the mountains were brought forth, or you even formed the earth of the world, he was God. He did all of this. And yet, who are we? Moses refers to us as, as something that in the morning flourishes and is renewed, but in the evening fades and withers. That God is omnipotent, but we are weak. And God is holy. It says in verse 7, For we are brought to an end by your anger and by your wrath we are dismayed. Over what? Over our sin. So he says in verse 8, For you have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your presence. Those secret sins, I, I don't know what Moses is referring to. Is he referring to those sins that we, we think we can hide from everybody, even God? Or, or is he even referring to those secret sins that we ourselves don't know that we sin? But God is holy and we are sinful. God is unchangeable because from everlasting to everlasting, He is God. But we are fading. The years of our life are soon gone and we just fly away. And God is wise, which is why in verse 12, Moses says, Teach us the number of our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us what wisdom is. Thereby, without God, we have no wisdom. God is transcendent, which means he is independent. He has no need of anything to continue to exist. But in verse 17, Moses cries out, Establish the work of our hands, because without God, nothing that we do will last. We must recognize the Lord's greatness in our own frailty. And these truths can seem rather hard or even uncomfortable to our ears. There's a tendency even in my own life to reject this, to say, no, I'll be the God of my life. No, I can do it in my strength. 
I can try harder. I can organize things better. If I just do this or that, if I can just get a better job, or if I can just uh, get my family, if my children to behave, if I could just have the better house, if I could have the better car, if we could have this or have that, then things will be right, and I can fix it myself. And yet Psalm 90 leaves no room for this. That the more we try to control our lives, the more we should recognize that we have very little control. We cannot control our children. They are not robots as much as we might try to do that. We cannot control our boss. We cannot control our neighbor. We cannot control the person that will be driving the other direction on Highway 1 this afternoon. The more we think we're in control, the more we should learn that we actually are not. We must turn away from the very first temptation that Satan brought to humanity when he said, if you'll just eat of this fruit, you'll become like God. He won't have to be king of your life anymore. And yet the truths of Scripture teach us that God is king. He is great and we are not. Some of us may tend towards a different type of reaction to this. It may tend towards a despair. If God is great and I am frail and I can do nothing, then woe is me. There is no point to life. We become despondent and we echo the book of Ecclesiastes. It says, vanity of vanities. Everything is a vapor. There is no meaning to life at all. And yet, if we follow God's word to its completion if we follow the rest of these verses, then there is actually hope. On the other side of recognizing God's greatness and our frailty, there is great hope. There is hope in the recognition that I am not God. That there is brokenness in my life, and that is the way things are. That everything does not rest on my shoulders. That I cannot control my life. That I cannot control my children or my job or anything like that. But even more so, if we look at the last few verses, we see that Moses points towards a hope that comes on the other side of this recognition. Because the first half of, of this psalm, he describes what it means to be apart from God. That in verse 6, we fade and wither. Verse 7, that we are under his wrath. Then verse 11, that, that we, we won't even consider the power of his anger or his wrath because of the fear of him. That in verse 9, our, our days are passing away. That ultimately they end with a sigh. But then in the last part of this psalm, he takes a turn. He says, I know, though, if I trust in the Lord, that you can satisfy us in the morning. That there is a steadfast love. That you are great and I am frail, but I know you are good. And that you can make us glad. That you will show your work and your glorious power. That the favor of you can be upon us. And you can establish the work of our hands. And the greater news for us today, here at Malvern Hill, is that what Moses saw as just a shadow, as just a hint of what to come. Whereas he could just say, Lord, I know that you are good and I know that there is something better than this. 
and that you are great and I am frail and I am broken and there is sin in me and around me and I know there's a way that you can show your favor. What he just knew as a hint, as a shadow of what is to come, we know is true in Christ Jesus. That in Christ Jesus, we can be satisfied in the morning. That in Christ Jesus, we know God's steadfast love. That in Christ Jesus, we can be made glad for as many days as we have suffered. And more. That in Christ Jesus, we see God's work. In Christ Jesus, we see his glorious power. That in Christ Jesus, the favor of our God is upon us. And in Christ Jesus, the he will establish the work of our hands which he has prepared for us as his children. That ultimately the knowledge that God is great and we are frail should drive us to Christ. That when we were frail, when we were in our sins, when there was nothing that we could do, that all of our sins were exposed before God and there was nothing we could do to atone for our sins ourselves, God came to us. And he gave his son to live the perfect life and die on the, death, uh, die on the cross for our sins. So that if we would repent, which as we talked in BBS this week, is just a fancy word for saying if we would just turn around and follow Christ. Say, Lord, I am sorry. I want your forgiveness. I want you to take away my sins and give the perfect life that Christ lived on my behalf. So that I could stand before you as your child. If we repent and believe, we could have hope. The last verses of that psalm would be true in our lives. And we could stand in assurance that in Christ Jesus, all those things are true. And the greatness of God in our frailty is actually good news because there is hope in Christ. So we can tune our hearts when the world is off key by remembering God's greatness in our frailty and ultimately, the gospel. But secondly, by learning to number our days. In verse 12, uh, Moses doesn't ask the Lord to delay death. He doesn't ask for more years. Instead, well, what does he say? He says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. But what does it mean for us as God's people to number our days? The verse the Lord brought to my heart and to my mind as I was studying for this is Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15, which echoes this in so many ways because it says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And then Paul goes very specifically to describe what this looks like practically for us to number our days, to use our days that the Lord has given us, our Heavenly Father has given us, to use them for His glory. He says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So practically, what does it look like for us to number our days? It means understanding that the Lord has will, a will for us in each and every day. It means being filled with the Spirit, 
not wasting our life drunk or self-medicating on whatever the world might offer, but instead seeking the Lord and being filled with His Spirit. It means singing to God and to one another. That it's not enough to just watch things on a, on a TV screen, but there's something special about being together with the people of God. Not that this place is holy, but the people are holy. Because God has brought us together as a church family to sing to Him, but also to sing to those on our left and on our right, to remind ourselves of the truths of the gospel, that when there is suffering, when there is sin, without and within, we remind ourselves of the good God who loves us and has saved us and redeemed us and will not leave us. It means giving thanks always, even in difficult times. And it means, as that last verse says, submitting to one another out of reverence of Christ. It means living in community. Another way to sum up what it would mean for us to learn to number our days is the, the lines from the poem that maybe you've heard before. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's ultimately the recognition that every moment of ours is a gift of God and we should use it for His glory. Now, that doesn't mean abandoning our family to, to just go and share the gospel 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It doesn't mean that it's wrong to have cookouts or to go to a Clemson game, maybe a Carolina game. That's another topic. <clears throat> It doesn't mean that it's wrong to enjoy the gifts of God that God has given us. But what it means is that even as we enjoy life, as we sit down to have a cookout with our families, as, as we go to see a movie or as we go and just spend time and enjoy what God has given us, that we ask, how can I use this for God's glory? It means not overestimating or underestimating our days, that we don't try to do everything at once and exhaust ourselves, that we recognize that God has a plan, but it also means that we don't ignore the change that small habits can create in the long run. So we tune our hearts by numbering our days and reminding ourselves of the most important things, things like waking up each morning and recognizing that it is a gift that you and I are not owed tomorrow, that that day our lives could change completely. But it is a gift from God, and God has planned in advance for us to have it, so how will we use it? It means don't putting off till tomorrow what the Lord has called us to do today. Parents, it is easy for us to think that we'll get around to our child's spiritual development later, but God has called you to be the parent, the father or mother of that child today, so how are you helping them to grow in Christ? It is easy to worry about teaching them how to throw a ball today and teach them and think that you can teach them to study the Bible tomorrow, but it really should be opposite. It means recognizing the Lord has placed us in a church family, in a neighborhood, in our workplace with a purpose. So, Lord, today, how can I be your ambassador? How can I be a blessing where you have placed me? And it means don't ignoring the small things because you do not know how the Lord can use a small act of obedience to create an internal impact in the life of someone else. Whether it's sharing the gospel or maybe just giving them a gospel tract, as uncomfortable as that may make you feel, 
to just give them a gospel of John and say, I know this sounds weird, but my life was changed by this message and I want to give this to you. Whether it's taking the time to genuinely ask somebody how they are doing and not walk off, but sit there and expect them to tell you something more. Whether it's taking five minutes to pray with your children or with your coworker, as awkward as that may make you feel, but when your coworker shares about something difficult going in your life, to say, can I just pray for you? As awkward as that even makes me feel at times, I have never had somebody tell me no. And I have had it often, often end in tears and hugs and greater conversations in the future. So we learn to tune our hearts by numbering our days. Thirdly, we learn to tune our hearts as we seek the Lord's grace. In those last several verses, Moses asks for several things we've already mentioned to satisfy us in the morning with his steadfast love, to make us glad, to let his work be shown, his glorious power. All that I could sum up with Moses just saying, Lord, show me your grace. Not just one time, but every single day. That for us, the gospel that saves us is the same gospel that sustains us every single day. And yet I know the tendency within my own heart is to become comfortable and to think I can do this on my own. Our first few months or really year in Latvia were very difficult. And so it was easy to recognize every morning that I could not do what I was supposed to do that day without God's grace. We, we could not take Anna Kate, who had been homeschooled, and drop her off at a Latvian public school where her teacher did not te- speak English, and there was only one student who had spent a year in the United States and could help translate a little bit. We couldn't do that without God's grace. I could not go out and make a fool of myself with my broken Latvian without God's grace. The first time I had to lead a Bible study because there was no other option and I had to do that in Latvian. I needed God's grace, but with time, it was easy to wake up and start to go, I've got this. I've passed my language exams or Amy Kate can help me translate if nothing else. <laughs> there is a danger for us as believers to think that God's grace was something that happened one time at BBS when we were saved or on a Sunday morning. But we need God's grace not only at our salvation, though praise God for that, but we need God's grace every single morning as we wake up. We need him to show his steadfast love. We need him to make us glad because I don't know about you all, but there are things that will try to steal my joy each and every day. I need the Lord's favor, I need his grace, and I need him to establish the work of our, my hands. So how do we do this? One of the ways that God shows his grace and pours it out on us is when we pursue him through the ways that he has given us to receive his grace. One of the most impactful books I've ever read is a book called The Habits of Grace uh, by a guy by the name of David Mathis. You can actually get the PDF for free on desiringgod.org. But he talks about how God has given us spiritual disciplines in our lives so that we can receive God's grace on a daily basis. 
He compares it to uh, electricity or a plumbing system. He, he says this, I can flip a switch, but I don't provide the electricity. I can turn on the faucet, but I can't make the water flow. There will be no light and no liquid refreshment without somebody else providing it, namely God. And so it is for the Christian with the ongoing grace of God. His grace is essential for our spiritual lives, but we don't control the supply. We can't make the favor of God flow, but, but he has given us circuits to connect and pipes to open expectantly. There are paths along which he has promised his favor. He gives the illustration of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus may have been a wee little man, but he modeled what this was like by positioning himself along the path of grace. He could not force Jesus' hand. He couldn't force Jesus to recognize him. He couldn't make grace flow automatically. But what he could do is by faith place himself along the path where grace was coming. And so we seek the Lord's grace each and every day when we place ourselves in the paths where God has said, my grace will flow. Namely, David Matheson in this book talks about God's voice, God's ear, and God's body. God's word, by immersing ourselves in God's word, by listening to it, by memorizing it, by taking time to reflect on it and talk about it with fellow believers, through prayer, by taking time to pray. And maybe for some of us that seems scary. Maybe you have no prayer life. But just starting with your drive to work, just two or three minute prayers, what, what somebody once referred to me as, as just popcorn prayers, but just taking time to talk with God and to listen expectantly with His Spirit within us. And then lastly, God's, God's body. That one of the other means of God's grace, the way that God promises to let His favor and His grace flow upon us is through the body of Christ. And there's a testimony to this. I, I think about our church family in Latvia that, that we translated for earlier today and that are expecting us back uh, sooner than we, we can actually make it. But if it weren't for God's body there, the handful of believers that we serve with at Missius Baptist Udraudze, I don't know where we would be. Because it was Inga, a sister in Christ, who helped us navigate how to, how to find a doctor, how, how to get Anakate in school. It, it was those people that, that we have worshipped alongside that have helped us in good times and bad times when we are sick, know what to do, who to go see, what teas to get from the forest that we could drink. All of those things that have been friends to our children, that have been encouragements to us, that have served alongside us in good times and bad, and that we eagerly await returning to. So we seek the Lord's grace when we seek the means that he has promised his favor will flow through his word, through his ear by prayer, and through his body, the church. And then one other thing, I think it also behooves us to, when we come to the end of our day, do something that somebody told me to do once, which is just ask the question, where did I see God's grace today? That we seek the Lord's grace in the morning by having him pour into us and that we also seek the lord's grace in the evening as we reflect on how the lord has been good that even on the deepest darkest 
scariest of days, I've always found that there are glimmers of God's grace that remind me he has not left us and he has not abandoned us. He is our father and we are his children. Which leads us to our last point. We tune our hearts when the world is off key by recognizing the Lord's greatness in our own frailty, by learning to number our days, by seeking the Lord's grace, and by making the Lord our dwelling place, as Moses writes in verse 1. Because there are things that will come and hit you and knock you out of tune that you never saw coming. The things that we worried most about before we went over to Latvia were not the most difficult things. I cannot tell you how many sleepless nights we had about Anna Kate showing up in this school where there were very few, just a handful of Christians, and she didn't speak the language, and yet that has not been a problem at all. What we didn't see is us getting evicted from our apartment six weeks in and having to move everything in a little red wagon. We didn't see a pandemic. We didn't see struggles within our church family from, from even false teachings at times or just the pull of sin within our own lives. We didn't see how hard it would be to, to, to have a newborn <laughs> who didn't sleep as much as a blessing as he is. But then in that, to see God when we made him our dwelling place to provide people around us to help us and to love us and to help us minister. We didn't see having to make the choice at the beginning of the pandemic, do we go or do we stay? We didn't think we'd have to make that choice. But because God was our dwelling place, we were able to have assurance that he who has been faithful thus far will lead us home, regardless of what the pandemic might do to us. And that we could stay because he was our dwelling place. That we have learned that when we make the dwelling place, uh, God our dwelling place, Psalm 73 rings true. Where it says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So when the things of earth both without and within, come and knock us. Make the Lord our dwelling place so that we can stand firm even when everything around us crumbles. Let me close with this. If you look at the very beginning of Psalm 90, above a prayer of Moses and maybe a title that you have for this psalm, it says, Book 4. And we don't know for certain but it seems from how book four is that these were liturgical psalms, which meant they were to be sung in community. Oftentimes when we read the Bible, we think it's just written to me. And there are parts, and that is true. It is God's word for us individually, but it's also God's word for us corporately. And many commentators believe that this book especially was made to be sung when the people of God would come together for the feast that God had told them to commemorate as his people. And so as we close this morning, I would ask you not just to think about these things individually, but to think about as a church family, 
how can we continue to grow in recognizing the Lord's greatness and our own frailty that each and everything that we do must depend on God? How can we as a church family learn to number our days, to avoid the distractions of this world, and to spur one another on to make the best use of these days because the times are evil? How can we both individually and together seek to see the Lord's grace daily in our lives? And how can we make the Lord our dwelling place? But probably one of the questions, that I, the question that I will end with is this, is that you cannot see God's grace every day if you have not seen God's grace to begin with. And so my question for you is if you have never repented of your sins, if you have never placed your faith in Christ, if you, like me, once upon a time, kept telling, no, I've got it good, I'll fix it, I can fix my life, I can do this, and you've never recognized that you can't, but God can through the power of the gospel, then would today be the day that you choose life? A couple of weeks ago, um, Pastor Craig and I were actually at a conference, and we um, we're in a meeting at 9 o'clock on an evening, and they decided to open the evening by just singing a cappella hymns, which is weird and not done very often, but was such a powerful moment in my life because God reminded me of the preciousness of the gospel through a song called, Come Ye Sinners. And if you've not heard the song before, I'm not going to sing it, but I am going to read these words. It says, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Come ye weary and heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. But if you tarry, if you wait till you're better, you will never come at all. So that is what I want to end our time in God's word with. Do not tarry. Do not wait until you think you have fixed your life up because if you wait, you will never come at all. Instead, I pray that you would sing the chorus of that hymn that says, I will arise and go to Jesus and he will embrace me in his arms. For in the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are 10,000 charms. So Pastor Craig is going to come down front. And we're going to take this time to respond where you are or if you want to come forth and kneel and pray. Or whether you want to come and sing that song and say, no, I will arise and come to Jesus. For he will embrace me in his arms. And come down front and, and pray with Craig, or I'll be over here. I would love to pray with you that you might know what it means to have life in Christ. So let us do that this morning. May we tune our hearts to sing God's grace. Amen. I'm going to pray for us as our musicians come this morning. Please stand with me. Father God, I pray that as we seek to tune our hearts to God's grace, Father, that you would burden those who are here, Lord God, not to tarry, not to wait, Lord God, until they believe they could 
tune their own strings, Father God, but they would trust in the maker, our maker, our God and our king. Lord God, teach us to number our days and may today be a day that, Father God, we number it for you. We pray these things and trust you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Would you come this morning as we sing?